Come on, tell someone, find someone, say, hey, you're looking good in the house of God. While you're doing that, I'm gonna welcome those of you joining us online. Thank you for making time to worship the Lord with us together today. Come on, we're gonna grow in our faith as we dig into God's word. If you have your Bible with you, I wanna always encourage you to either bring a Bible or have it pulled up on your phone or device and let's turn or click to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and or Joshua chapter six. As we continue our series, These Walls Must Fall. And listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul is speaking to you and I and he says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war like the world does. He's saying there's some fussing and fighting that's going on in the world today, but he says we're not gonna participate in it the way that the world does. But he does say that we have a battle that we're engaged in. When, he, when reading on in verse four, he says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds, somebody say strongholds, of human reasoning and destroy false arguments, casting down those arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So he says, we, we live in the world, but we don't fight the way the world does. But then he uses this word, he says, we're gonna bring down, tear down strongholds. That word in the original language in the Greek refers to a fortress of walls. So we're in this series called These Walls Must Fall. And how many of you believe in our culture there's actually some walls that need to be restored and rebuilt, like the walls around marriage and family and sexuality. There's some things that, that we need to rebuild and restore as the people of God, pointing people back to the heart and the word and the will of God. But Paul here is talking about this, uh, this uh, reality that also exists, and that's that there are also walls that need to, need to come down, walls that divide, walls that hinder, Walls that prevent the people of God from walking in the fullness of the blessing of God. So these walls must fall. These strongholds, this fortress of walls, anything and everything that keeps people from walking in the knowledge of God, his heart, his word, his will, his ways, his goodness for your life. The apostle Paul says God has equipped us to bring those walls down. So there's some walls that need to be built up. There's some walls that need to come down. Walls that protect and there's walls that prevent or hinder. And so the tagline to this series is breaking barriers to blessing. That anything in every, any place, any, war, any way that, that there's a barrier that maybe your thoughts or your words or your actions or your belief beliefs have built a, a, a pattern of walls, a system of walls that's hindering you from walking in the blessing of God. We're going to trust God through this series to give us the principles. Remember, he says, we have weapons of our warfare that allow us to bring down these strongholds so that we can walk in the blessing of God. So if you have your Bible again, turn to Joshua chapter six, and we're gonna visit the passage you might anticipate that we would visit in a series called These Walls Must Fall. And it's the story of Jericho and the people of Israel marching around the city of Jericho in, in accordance to God's word, waiting and trusting for the walls to come down so that they could enter in, so that they could break through a barrier to God's blessing, which was the promised land of Canaan that God had invited the people of God to step into and to inherit. But they came against this city, this fortified city called Jericho. And it was the first place that they came as they stepped in and entered into the land of Canaan. And so we're gonna read about this story what God gave them as their instructions for how to see these walls fall, these barriers to blessing fall in their lives. We'll read, we'll read from verse one to verse 16. I'm gonna read a little bit more than what I might have to. Verse 10 is gonna be key. Be ready to mark that one. That's one we're gonna dig into and dive into a little bit further this morning. But a few years ago, the Lord just compelled me to read a little bit more of some of these stories and some of these chapters than maybe what we would have to Typically, I could just go and kind of extract a verse or two and kind of utilize it for the point that God's calling us to visit as a people. But I believe that the Lord is having me to read a little bit more of these chapters because I believe there are people that are coming to know the Lord for the first time and maybe didn't grow up in Sunday school. Maybe haven't heard these stories and read these stories. So let's read along together. Verse one, Joshua chapter six. And it says this, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites and no one was allowed to go out or in. Did you know that some of the places where you're expect, experiencing rather opposition are because the enemy knows if you can break through that barrier of blessing, he's afraid of what power, potential, and promise resides in you through Christ Jesus? And that's exactly what it's saying here. It says the people of Jericho had walled themselves in because they were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or to go in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you 
Jericho. Its king and all of its strong warriors. Had the walls fallen yet? No. The walls were still standing strong around the promises of God, preventing the people from entering in. These barriers to blessing. But God is already doing what he does, speaking in faith. What hasn't happened as though it has. He's saying the walls in your life and your marriage and your family and your finances, it might look one way today. But just how, because something looks one way today doesn't mean it's going to look that way tomorrow because as the people of God, we live and walk by faith and not by sight. God's speaking faith here over your situation. He's saying it looks one way today, but in my heart, from where I see things, the Lord is saying it's already done. The victory is yours. You just got to trust me, seek me, and step into the patterns and the principles that I'm inviting you to, to experience the breakthrough, to see those walls come down, those barriers to blessing broken down so that you can enter in to your promised land. And it says, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Listen, it's, it, it's God's supernatural pattern and plan for victory and breakthrough. There are some things that God is calling you to as a Christ follower, as a person of faith, as a man or woman of God that are not gonna make sense to your mind or to the people around you. But if you'll listen, if you'll hear what God has to say, if you'll dig in and dive into his word about how to do life, about how to do marriage, about how to handle your finances, there's a supernatural pattern that he's inviting to you. Remember, we live in the world, but we don't do things according to the world. God's given us a pattern. God's giving us methods that will cause us to break down barriers to blessing and walk forward into the promised land of God for our life. And reading on together, verse six, it says, so Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant was, was this piece of furniture that the Lord had given very specific instructions on how to construct it. And, and, and it represented the very presence of God. And it says, take, that, take up the Ark and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. He gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the Ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. And watch this. Here's verse 10. Remember I said that there was a verse that we were really driving to. This is one we're going to dig into a little bit more today. And I've preached about this passage numerous times, but I've never really dug into this particular verse like we're going to do today. Here's what it says. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. And then as if that wasn't a strong enough way to say it, watch what Joshua says to the people. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. He says, not a single word from you until I tell you to shout. Come on, where are my moms at who have used that language before? I don't want a single word out of you today. And he says, don't, don't shout, don't talk, not even a peep, no word out of you until I say. And when I say, then shout. So the ark of the Lord, verse 11, was carried around the town once that day. And then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest again carried the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. And again, the armed men marched both in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. And all this time, the priests were blowing their horns. And maybe it's starting to sound a little bit redundant to you. And, and it's because it is. And that's a word to someone who feels like you're kind of just going through the motions. You're kind of just doing what God's been telling you to do and not seeing the fullness of the breakthrough or the promise or the provision or the, or, the, or the dream that God's put in your heart. And I'm telling you today that the word of God to you is not to grow weary in doing good. In due season, you will reap a harvest if you'll just persevere. If you'll be willing to just keep your hands to the small things, God's got a bigger and a better and a new and a next for you. If you'll just continue to serve in the quiet place and the hidden place and that God has a promotion and a provision for you that he'll connect you to because maybe some of us today feel like, man, we've just been doing the things that God's been trying to, to, that God's told us to do and we're not seeing the fullness of the victory that God has for us. And I'm encouraging you today. Sometimes you're shouting and walls are coming down and sometimes you're just walking with God, being faithful to just do what God's called you to do. 
But I'm telling you that what we're about to read is the same thing that's true in your life. If you'll just be faithful to keep loving, keep serving, keep giving, keep forgiving, just keep doing the things that you know to do, I'm telling you there's a breakthrough that's on its way into your life just like there was a breakthrough about to happen in the lives of the people of Israel as they continued to to march. Verse 12, Joshua got up again early the next morning. The priest again carried the ark of the Lord. On the second day, skipping down to verse 14, they marched around the town once and returned to camp and followed this pattern for six days. But on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Verse 20, it says, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. The Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. It's a powerful story. Verse 10 is where I want us to park today. And again, I preached on this message, this passage rather numerous times. I've never really preached on this particular verse within this passage. And it's that one where Joshua said, do not shout, don't even talk, not a single word from you until I tell you to shout, then shout. And we could read through it and we could kind of gloss over that scripture, but I'm telling you, God was up to something significant there. Because here's what we know about the pretext of this passage. The context of this passage is that this is the generation that God has allowed to enter into Canaan. Jericho was the first city in the promised land known as Canaan. What had happened to the previous generations? Well, God had judged them and not one of them was allowed to enter into the promised land of God. God had forgiven them, but God had said, Because of this behavior, you're not going to be able to enter into the promised land that I have for you. And here's here's the takeaway is that just because you have a promise from God does not mean that you will fully experience the promises of God. The way we live, the way we act, the way we trust, the way we seek, the way we pray, the way that we, we live, the way we speak affects our ability to really walk in the fullness of God's blessing for our life. And so he's, he's saying, this is a generation that I'm getting their attention because there was a previous generation that was disqualified from walking into the fullness of the promised land of God. Why were they disqualified? Well, I'm glad you asked. Numbers chapter 14 is where we find the answer. And here's what it says, verse 26. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked generation or this wicked community, your translation might say, grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall not, or every one of you rather, that's not 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter into the land. What disqualified the previous generation from walking into the fullness of God's promised land for their life? They grumbled and complained against God. Can you imagine? Remember what all, everything that God had done? He had set them free by his miraculous hand from the, from the house of Pharaoh. He had delivered them through the Red Sea. He had seen them through the wilderness with manna from heaven, with quail on the earth, with a pillar of fire by, by, by night and a cloud of shade by the day. He had done tremendous and wonderful things, miracles in their life to set them free and sustain them as they were on this journey towards the promised land. And I might judge them, less, but I have been in the same shoes myself. So many things that God has done in my life. And yet sometimes I still to this day can find myself grumbling and complaining, doubting about, God, are you really gonna come through for me? God, are you really who you said that you are? God, are you really gonna do what you said that you would do? And God right here says, those who grumble and complain can't enter in and experience the fullness of the promise that I have for you. So when Joshua in verse 10 says, for six days, I want you to march and I just want you to march and I don't want you to say a word, I believe that God is doing something really radical here. I believe that God is training them to understand that their words mattered. I I believe that God was trying to get something out of them and keep something from entering into them that would pass from the previous generation into that generation. This tendency to be negative, fault-finding, critical, complaining, and grumbling about life. And he's saying right here, he's saying, 
Before you even shout, I'm, I want you to just be quiet. I want you to just kind of just march and just trust and just worship and just, and just obey and just watch how I'm going to deliver you. But I'm not going to allow you to grumble and complain like the previous generation. So here's, here's what I want to talk to you about today, the, the walls of words. That your words, the words that you're speaking, the words that are coming out of your mouth are building walls in your life, whether you know it or not. And the only question is, what kind of walls are you building? Are you building walls, are you building up walls with your words that are intended to protect and preserve the relationships, the people, your marriage, your spouse, your children, this church, your workplace? Or are your words building walls in people's lives that are keeping them from really knowing and experiencing who they really are in God? Are they building up walls of doubt or fear or worry or anxiety? Are they building up walls between people and God? You're building walls with your words whether you know it or not. Again, the only question is, are you building walls that are going to protect and preserve people? Or are you building walls that are going to divide and hinder and prevent people from walking into the blessing that God has for them. Our words determine our direction more than perhaps any other thing that we have a say about in this life on this side of eternity. James chapter 3 verse 1 and through 5 makes it so crystal clear to us when the writer says, dear brothers and sisters, he's speaking to you and me and he says, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. And reading on verse 2, he says, indeed, we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Somebody say, in every way. We can make a large horse, reading on verse 3, go wherever we want by means of placing a small bit in its mouth. And a very small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, somebody say same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. And he says, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. I wonder how many of us have ever realized the moment where just one word, we knew that it was a spark that was about to cause a fire. I mean, how many of you have ever said something that you regretted? How many of you have ever said something in the moment that you said it, you regretted that you said it, and you wished that you could reach out and grab that word and pull it back in and bottle it up, but that you knew that there was gonna be consequences for what I just said? A little spark, one word that I didn't have the discipline, the willpower not to say is now going to create a great fire in this relationship. In my workplace, your words are determining your direction of your life perhaps more than anything else. Did you know that even if you're a good employee, a successful employee, employee that performs at a high level and contributes a great deal to your workplace or to your business, did you know that on a Monday afternoon or a Friday morning, you're just a few words away from being shown the door with all of your possessions? I'm just telling you, words matter. Words are powerful. Words are nuclear. Your words are determining the direction of your life perhaps more than any other thing that you have control of. Men, you know this to be true. In your marriage, there are some questions that your wife asks you, and the answer that you give to those questions are determining the direction of your life. If you know it to be true, somebody say amen. That's what the Bible says in black and white terms. If Proverbs verse, or 18 verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The New Living Translation of the same verse, Proverbs 18 verse 21, says the tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Proverbs 13 verse 2, a lot of scripture, I'm just underlining how significantly important this is. That we grasp a hold of this, if we want to break down barriers to blessing, if we want to walk into the fullness of God's promises for our lives. And Proverbs 13, 2 says, from the fruit of their lips, people enjoy good things. Proverbs 12, verse 14, a man will be satisfied with good by what? By the fruit of his mouth. Proverbs 18, 20, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. And you know, this message is kind of a simple message, 
but it's an opportunity for me to kind of walk in something that I pray every week when I'm seeking after God, when I'm praying, when I'm searching, when I'm asking God, God, what is in your heart for me to bring to the people of God, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them, to heal them. And every week I pray this way. I say, God, never let me fall into the trap of preparing to preach to impress people. Always let me prepare and pray to preach to help people. And I'm just telling you, this message, though it's maybe simple, is a powerful message. If you'll grab a hold of this, if you'll allow God to begin to cause you to be mindful, to be reflective, to be humble, to be submitted, to be surrendered in the words that you say and the things that come out of your mouth in every arena of life, in every relationship, in everything that God has called you to, I am telling you that there is a blessing on the other side of that commitment. There's life. He says, he said, your tongue has the power of life and death. This is important. He says life or death. I came across something a few years ago. Now, gosh, it was probably six or seven years ago. It was early on um, in, in my tenure as pastor here. I preached a similar message, and I came across um, a, a, a doctor, a scientist, who had done some fascinating research, and he developed a fascinating experiment, and his name was Dr. Masuro Emoto. And I know it sounds like a villain in a Marvel movie or something, but he's really a Japanese scientist. And he began to study the effects that the atmosphere has on water molecules, the way they behave based on atmospherical effects, including the words that are introduced into that atmosphere. And here's what he did. He took cooked rice and he put it in multiple different scenarios and, 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 and he added water to it. And in one scenario where he isolated that pot of cooked rice, he, he isolated it and he only, he committed to only speak positive words of affirmation. I know this is crazy, a scientist, a mad scientist talking to rice. But I'm going to show you a picture of the outcome here in a moment. And it's underlining what God is trying to tell you and me today through his word. There's life and death that resides in the power of the words you speak. And so this doctor, Dr. Emoto, he spoke, he spoke encouraging, hopeful affirming words over this one part of this uh, experiment. And over another pot of this cooked rice, he isolated it and he only spoke negative words. Curses, hate, discouragement. And at the end of 30 days, he took a picture of the two pots of rice that started out exactly the same way. The same rice from the same pot cooked the same way with the same amount of water added to it. And we have a picture of it. I'm going to show you what the outcome was. The one on the left is the one that had positive, affirming, loving words. The one on the right is the one that was spoken to in hateful, hurtful tones. Everything else was the same. And he began to discover how these water molecules that were within that experiment would behave differently and would function differently based on the atmosphere that was established through words. Did you know that the same is true for plants? I know this sounds crazy. Just bear with me, and it's underlining the point. Again, there's power. There's the power of life and death in the words that you choose to speak. Every word that you speak is either contributing to the life of someone or the demise of someone. It's the responsibility that we have, and it's the opportunity that we get to make a decision. Am I going to yield my tongue to partner with God to speak blessing, to speak life, to speak, to speak hope, to speak love, to speak encouragement, to speak affirmation? Or am I going to allow my tongue to be used by the devil to bring discouragement, to bring division, to bring doubt into people's life? And the same was true with plants. This is crazy. And actually, when I preached about this six or seven years ago, there were some people in the church that went and did it ourselves and got these very results, believe it or not. Two plants purchased from the same hardware store, treated the same way, watered with the same frequency. One isolated and over, that plant was spoken positive, affirming, loving words. Come on, I know it sounds crazy, but speaking, you're a good plant. You're a fruitful plant. You're going to blossom. You're going to bloom. You're going to reap a good harvest. And on the other plant, you're a lousy plant. You're a no good for nothing plant. You're never going to flourish. You're never going to bloom. You're never going to prosper. Come on, I know it sounds silly, right? But some people actually did it in this church a few years ago and sent us the pictures of evidence of how it went. Here's how it went. Is that picture up behind me? The one on the left was spoken to with hurtful, hateful, discouraging tones. The one on the right was in an atmosphere where positive, hopeful, encouraging, helpful, loving words were being spoken. Come on, how many of you have ever experienced an atmosphere where you've had to endure hurtful, demeaning, discouraging words? How many of you ever felt like that plant on the left? It just like causes your spirit to begin to shrivel up on the inside. Why? Because there's power of life and death that resides within the words you speak. 
What we actually say as believers, what we actually say matters more than what we say we believe. Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus is talking about moving mountains. Come on, who has a mountain in your life that you need to be moved in your life? I mean, really, who has a mountain you need to be moved in your life? I'm raising my hand. There's some mountains that I could stand to see God move in my life. And watch what Jesus says. He gives us a pattern, and he says, truly, I tell you. Like Jesus, you don't have to say truly, I tell you. We know you're Jesus. You're not going to lie to us, you know, but he's making a point of emphasis right here. He's saying, you need to listen to this. You need to pay attention to this. There's some solid gold truth behind this. There's something that you got to be willing to grab a hold on if you're going to break the barriers to blessing, if you're going to walk into the promises of God for your life. And he says, truly, I tell you, if anyone, so this includes you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing. And what hearing? By the word of God. Did you know that you don't have to wait till Sundays and Wednesdays to hear the word of God coming out of someone's mouth? You can begin to speak the word of God. You can begin to declare the promises of God. You can begin to speak the affirming heart of God over you, over your spouse, over your children, over your generation, over your classroom, over your locker room, because words have the power of life and death. Psalm 107, verse 2, because we got to rediscover our voice. I think there's a lot of well-intended people who really believe in God, who really desire to see God move in their life, who really want to break down the barriers of blessing, who really want to enter into the promises of God. But we haven't challenged, we haven't trained, we haven't equipped, we haven't modeled to the church that, to understand that there's an importance, there's a priority upon the words that you speak as a follower of Christ outside of the walls of this church. And Psalm 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Come on, who has he redeemed from the hand of the enemy besides me? He says, you better start talking about it. He says, you better say something about it. You better begin to celebrate it. You better begin to, it's what we do when we gather here. We're worshiping. Come on, it's the redeemed of the Lord saying something about it. Psalm 91 verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Did you notice it doesn't say I will contemplate, I will think about, I will believe in, I will meditate, nothing wrong with any or all those things. In fact, they all have a practical application in your life of faith, but he says, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Some of you are going through some difficult, unforeseen, unexpected circumstances. It's time for you to start saying something about God. You're walking through the middle of the storm. It's the right time. It's the perfect time. There's no better time to begin to say, my God is an ever-present help in a time of need. My strong tower, my fortress, my refuge, my God in whom I trust. So we got to discover our voice. we got to begin to say, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. My God is good, he is faithful, he is true, he is with me. He is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't change, he's immovable, he's immutable, and he's with me. And so I'm gonna make it through to the other side of this obstacle, this opposition, this challenge. We gotta not just believe it, not just think it, we gotta begin to say it because faith comes by hearing. And there is the power of life and death in the words that are coming out of your mouth. So, so, Actually, there's also a contrast. One of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is learning to discern the time to speak and the time to just listen. And there's a boldness that we need to have. There's a breakthrough that we need to have. Men of God beginning to declare the word of God over their, over their wife and over their kids and, and, and over their family and over their future and over their heart, over their hands and everything that God has called you to do. But there's also a discipline that we need to learn, and that's when not to talk. Because, again, there are words that bring life and there are words that partner with the enemy to bring death. And Psalm 19, verse 14, is a powerful scripture to me. And it says this, it says, and this is a prayer. This is, this is the psalmist praying to God. He's, a, he's asking God, would you grace me to live this way? And I think it's a good model for you and I. And, and he says this, he says, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Did you catch that? May the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. I, I think he's helping us to see something here, that there's a thought life that you have and there's a word life that you have. 
And I think it's kind of inevitable that we're going to deal with anxious thoughts, worrisome thoughts, fearful thoughts, doubtful thoughts, angry thoughts, jealous thoughts. And the Bible gives us a pattern that we're supposed to take captive those thoughts to captivity. But it's not just because their thoughts in and of themselves are bad. It's because that God understands that a thought will inevitably breed a word or a decision or a direction or an action. And so he's saying you, you can deal with it kind of early on in the thought mode. But the psalmist here is saying, let my thoughts, let the thoughts and meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and let the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And here's the powerful concept that I can draw out for us in real practical terms. Here's how I'm going to say it. Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. Don't, it's not a good time to elbow your spouse or your neighbor right now, all right? (laughs) Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. And the place to deal with it, come on, there's a grace from God to deal with it while, it while you have the ability to take it captive as a thought and avoid the consequences we just read about. Because when that thought, oh, I would love to give my boss a piece of my mind right now or my spouse a piece of my mind. You know, I've learned there's a couple commitments I've made in my life of faith. I'm not going to let people get my goat and I'm not going to give people a piece of my mind. I don't have enough to spare. You know, I need every last bit of it for myself. Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. Just because it's true doesn't mean it necessarily needs to be said. Did you know that you could say something that's actually true and technically right and you can actually lose the moment? What I think is one thing, what I choose to say is another thing. Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. It's another prayer. I think a prayer prayed after realization just how much trouble we can get ourselves into when we haven't surrendered and submitted our words and our mouth to the Lordship of Jesus. He says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep a watch over the doors of my lips. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Once again, it's a place where, I mean, every scripture we ought to take note of, right? But the writer's saying like, hey, would you give some special intentionality to hearing what I'm about to say because this is important. He says, take note of this. Like, like get out your highlighter and highlight this scripture in your Bible. And he says, everyone should be quick to listen. Say quick to listen. Slow to speak. Say slow to speak. Slow to anger. Say slow to anger. I think it's interesting. I I know it's kind of overly simple, but sometimes the Lord just speaks to me through really simple things. Maybe that's how he has to get through to me sometimes. I I think it's interesting because remember he says be slow to speak, quick to listen, be slow to get angry. I think it's interesting that God gave us one mouth and two ears. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. I've gotten... My one mouth has gotten me in trouble enough. I'm glad I don't have two. But I think God's just kind of making a point. Like, I want you to just be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Listen, this is, this is powerfully important. Learning the, the grace and the ability to refrain from saying something that you feel like you maybe need to say or want to say. Because sometimes, don't you just want to say it? Sometimes it feels good to just let those words fly, right? right? I mean, really, right? Like, sometimes it just feels it's like, man, that feels good. I mean, I just really just kind of set them in their place, you know, or whatever. Or kind of let them feel a little bit about kind of how they have made me feel in the past or whatever. Sometimes it just kind of feels good to your flesh. But this is powerfully important. Let me encourage you with the reason why. Did you know that God is all, all present, all knowing, right? He's all present, all knowing. Did you know that God, the word of God says that God knows your thoughts and your, he knows your heart? But did you know that the enemy does not, that Satan does not? God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's all-present. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. But the enemy is not. The enemy is a created being with limitations, limited capacity. And did you know that the Bible says that the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy, not whom he can destroy because can would imply ability. Whom he may destroy implies opportunity. And he, so, so, the, so God knows 
God knows your thoughts, God knows your heart, but the enemy is utilizing the words that are coming out of your mouth more than anything else to determine whether or not he's got some access to your life, your family, your health, your marriage, your finances, your future. Did you know it to be true? And the Bible says this, here's the, other, here's the flip side though, here's the promise, if we resist the enemy, he'll flee. If we resist the enemy, he will what? Flee. If we resist the enemy, he'll what? I think one of the greatest ways we can resist the enemy is just refrain from giving him any outward evidence of the fact that maybe we really are a little bit anxious about something. Maybe we really are kind of doubting God's ability to come through. Or maybe we really are doubting God's timing about a certain thing. But I think if we could just learn to just kind of turn those thoughts and considerations into prayerful petition before God instead of grumbling and complaining like the people of Israel did, I think here's what will happen. The enemy will look down and he'll say, I did my dead level best. I shot my best shot. I put them through the divorce. I, I sent the diagnosis. I'm causing the, the depression or the despair or the lack or the division in their life. And what do I see? I still see a person. I still see a marriage. I still see a church. I still see a congregation that is still just praising me and still just thanking me. I see a people who are still just trusting God. And he's opportunistic, so I think he looks down and he's, he, again, he shot his best shot at you and you're just still worshiping God, just saying, God, I thank you that you're good, you're with me, you're for me. And in that very moment where those words are coming out of your mouth, you really have the mountain of debt, you really have the MRI with the diagnosis, you really have the letter from the attorney, whatever it is for you, but the evidence that you're gonna give is not gonna allow the enemy to have a door to continue to torment you. You resist the enemy and he flees. He says, I'm going on to the next person. I gave him my best shot, and that person is still trusting, still loving, still serving, still giving, still worshiping God. So here's here's how I want to close. I want to give you four. I got to move quick. Four filters that are directly tied to Scripture for how we can begin to partner with God, because that's the choice we have with every word we speak. Is this word going to partner with God, or is this word going to bring death? And so here's four things. Four things. Four things. And, And and before we go to the four things, did you know? that Jesus even understood this and was actually subjective to this. John 12, verse 49, watch this. These are red letter words in your Bible. Jesus is saying this himself. These are words coming out of Jesus' mouth. And watch what he says. He says, I do not speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Because how many know that sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? So even Jesus understood, I'm surrendering my mouth. I'm surrendering my words. If God isn't leading me, instructing me, empowering me to say it, I'm not going to say it. And when he does call me to say something, I'm going to say, okay, God, with what spirit, with what tone, how do I share this in a way where it is one of these four things or all of them combined? Number one is gracious. Gracious. Let your conversation, Colossians 4, verse 6, let your conversation be always, someone say always, full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That includes everyone. Number two, Proverbs 12, verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The opportunity that we have is to say, are these words gonna help contribute to the healing and the restoration and the redemptive process that God is doing in the life of this person? Am I aiding, am I partnering with God to bring about healing? Am I, am I helping them to take a step towards God or am I causing them to be set back or to be hindered or to held back in the guilt or the sin or the shame or the condemnation? The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Number three, encouraging. Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. The same verse, different translation, New Living Translation says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything, someone say everything, you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. What a great filter to put on our speech. Is this going to encourage someone? Is this gonna help them? Is this gonna bring strength to them? Is this gonna bring courage to them? Is this gonna add to the grace of God that they're walking in? And if the answer is yes, by all means, go ahead and get about saying it. But if you have any hesitation or reservation that maybe it's not, maybe you ought to take a moment and just say, God, would you allow me to find what your heart is in the matter so I can partner with you and speak something that 
builds them up, that encourages them with what they're going through. Number four, and lastly, we'll close right here, optimistic and faith-filled, that our words ought to be gracious. They ought to bring healing to people. They ought to encourage and strengthen, build people up, and that we ought to be a people who are speaking optimistic, hopeful, faith-filled words. Romans 4, 17 says that God, the very God who gives life to dead things, calls those things that do not exist as though they did. And this is why it's so powerful. God chose, he established, he ordained, he he created with words. Genesis chapter one, verse three, verse six, verse nine, verse 11, verse 14, 20, 26, and 29. God was creating the universe and all that it contains. And how did he do it? He could have waved his hand. He could have snapped his fingers. He spoke. There's power of life and death in the power of your tongue. He calls things that aren't as though they are. This isn't name it and claim it. There's kind of some misappropriated doctrine surrounding this thing, but this is partnering with God. This is making a determined decision to say, when I speak, I'm gonna speak hope-filled words of faith. I, I know that I am not limited to what I can see. Remember the walls of Jericho hadn't even fallen and God was already speaking through Joshua. I have given that land to you. It might look one way, but you can say it a different way. You might really have the pile of bills. You might really have the diagnosis, but it's an opportunity for you to begin to say, thank you, Lord, you are my provider. Thank you, Lord, you are my healer. Joel 3 verse 10 says it this way. Let the weak say what? I am strong. Really? Yeah, really. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let let, let the weak... Say, I am strong. Let the weak be reminded that God's with you when you're going through the difficult moment. God's with you when you're going through the unforeseen thing. Let the weak say, because God's on my side, I'm strong. He says, you don't have to be limited. Just because it looks one way, just because it really is that way, just because of the way it looks today, you don't have to be limited because you are called to not live by what you see, but to walk and live by what? Faith. Every word we have the opportunity to say, is this gonna be gracious? Is this gonna bring healing? Is this gonna bring encouragement? And is this speaking faith and optimism and hope for the future that I have over my life? Would you stand to your feet this morning? As you're standing to your feet, would you just ask the Lord, just say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me? What are you doing in me? What are you reminding me of? What are you revealing to me? Listen, the the struggle is real. James chapter three, he goes on and he talks about how challenging it is. It's hard to tame the tongue. But maybe what we ought to have as our goal is not just to try to tame the tongue, but to just surrender our heart and our mouth to God. Say, God, I want to partner with you. When I speak, I want it to have your heart. When I speak, I want it to be gracious. I want it to be seasoned like salt. When I speak, I want it to bring and be a part of helping people to walk towards the healing that you have for them. When I speak, I want it to encourage and strengthen. When I speak, I want it to bring faith into the equation. It's easier said than done because many of us, maybe some of you grew up in an atmosphere where it was just filled with harsh words, hurtful words, criticism, judgment, words of limitation spoken over you. Why can't you be more like you'll never amount to? And I'm just telling you, you'd be surprised at how many people grew up in that type of an atmosphere. And because you did, maybe it's hard for you to really, you've kind of found yourself swept up into that same pattern, that same mindset, that same tendency. And remember, going back to where we started, Joshua chapter six, verse 10, it's what Joshua was doing. He was saying the previous generation got themselves in a world of hurt by the way they grumbled and complained. They were fault finding, they were critical, they were negative. And and he said, I'm causing you, I'm calling you, I'm directing you, I'm commanding you. Take a moment and just chill. Take a moment and keep your mouth shut. Just worship, just walk, just trust. There's a moment coming where I will have trained your mouth and when you open it, you're gonna be filled, your mouth's gonna be filled with my words that are gracious, that are helpful, that are encouraging and that are faith-filled. And so, Lord, I just thank you that it's possible for us. It's possible for us, too. If that's what was modeled to us, if that's what was handed to us, God, that today through this message, you're saying, I'm just calling you to to break off, break down 
leave behind those patterns, those tendencies, those walls must fall. That stronghold of negative, harsh, hurtful, hateful, the tendency to kind of quickly go to the worst case and, and espouse that through your words. He says, I'm, I'm breaking down that stronghold today. And in that place where maybe you've had that tendency today, by his grace, because you're gonna need it, by his spirit today, that there would be just a fresh revelation, a fresh impartation to begin to lend and loan and submit and surrender your mouth and your words to God in your relationships. Come on, in marriages, this is life-giving. So many times what has caused the atmosphere of the marriage to begin to shift is just the fact that the words, the way you talk to one another has changed. Maybe it's not even what you say, but maybe it's how you say it. It used to be said with love and grace and tenderness, and you've kind of just got curt and short with one another. I'm telling you, the Lord is just calling you and inviting you to get back to that place where you say, Lord, would you help me to begin to once again? Because remember, we read those scriptures and it said, let all your words to everyone, every situation, it includes your spouse even on a bad day. And he says, let it be seasoned with grace. Let it be encouraging. Let no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth. Let it be healing and let it be faith-filled. Lord, we just thank you. Would you, if you, if you want to receive that, especially maybe you're married, you want to receive that for yourself, would you just lift your hands before the Lord and just, re, just as a posture and act of just wanting to receive. And in that same posture, you know, it's also the same movement that we allow ourselves to just kind of surrender and just say, Lord, we, we need you. We need you. We can't tame our tongues in our own strength, but we surrender our hearts and our words to you, God. We want to partner with you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. For those of you who maybe have been affected or held back or hindered by hurtful or negative words, I want to close with one scripture, and it's this, very simply but powerfully, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says this, that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over you. Speaks a better word. That the cross of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice at the cross of Calvary was God shouting over your life. He saw the way that your father, grandfather, your coach, your teacher, your aunt, uncle, whoever it was spoke over you, he saw it. And the cross of Jesus Christ, it says, speaks a better word. And today, lastly, before we have one more altar call, give people a chance to say yes to Jesus and dismiss you today. I wanna declare, I wanna break off those words. There's a better word spoken over you. There's a better word spoken over you. Where they said that you were insignificant, where they said that you were inferior, where they said that you wouldn't amount to anything, when they said that you wouldn't make it, there's a better word that God is speaking over you through the cross of Jesus Christ today. He says you are loved. He says you are chosen. He says you are accepted. He says you are healed. He says you are whole. He says you are forgiven. He says you're his daughter, his son. There's a better word. There's a better word. Come on, who needs to receive that today? Who needs to receive that today? And I declare, I pray in the power of the name, above every other name, above every other word, above every other phrase, above every other sentence, above every other judgment, I pray in that name, the name of Jesus, that that wall, that barrier to blessing will be broken off your life. That label, that thing that you've held on to, I break it off of you right now. It wasn't from God's heart. It's not the way God sees you. He calls you all those things I just said and much more. He speaks a better word over you today. Would you receive it today? And I pray, Lord, that the hindrance, that the stronghold, that the bondage, that the, that the things that, have, that they've carried, that weight that they've carried because of that word that was unfittingly and untimely and inappropriately spoken over their life, whether it was recently or way far back in your life, I pray that the, that the effect of it today would be broken off of them in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, can we just thank the Lord for that today? That's life-changing for someone today. That's life-changing for someone today. Okay. I know we're running a little late, but this is our strong conviction as a church that every Sunday, regardless of what the topic of the message is, we're gonna give people a chance to say yes to Jesus and give people a chance to come home to their Heavenly Father. And so maybe you're here today and you once knew God, loved God, served God. Maybe you grew up in the church, but you've just drifted from God, made some bad choices, bad decisions, just got kind of caught up in the cares of the world. And if that's you today, that's fine. That's what the Bible describes in a parable that Jesus told as a prodigal son. A prodigal son, the son that went to the father and said, I'm, I'm gonna go and do it in my own strength. I'm gonna go try to do it in my own way. And the father knew how that was gonna go for him eventually. But if you go back and you read the parable, the father was constantly praying and anticipating and waiting and longing for the day, for the moment where that son would come back home. 
And if you go back and read the story, the, the father, when he saw the son coming from a far off distance, he ran to the son. And he didn't meet him at the property's edge and hold him to an account for the things that he had done and make him take responsibility for the th He just welcomed him there and he said, my son, I'm so glad you're home. And he put a ring on his finger and a rope on his back and he threw a feast and a celebration for him. And the moral of the story is this, you don't have to get good to get God. He's just standing like this. He's just saying, come on, would you come home to me? But, you know, there's some things we can work on in your life. But would you just come home to me? Would you just run into my loving arms? And so if, if that's you, that's the posture of the Father towards you today. Or maybe you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus, the weight of sin lifted off of your shoulders, paid for by a price that none of us could pay. Only the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ could accomplish it in my life or in your life. And so if that's you, you're in either one of those camps or anywhere in between, right now, this is your moment. And here's what we're gonna ask you to do. Would you just lift your hand towards heaven, towards your Father? Just say, that's me. I need to come home. That's me, I need to be forgiven. Just a simple outward sign of a, of a powerful inward work that God's doing in your heart right now today. And if you raised your hand, both in this room and online, you can lower it. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray this, but we pray it a little differently here. We pray it with you. Every week we do this because we wanna quickly just show you, come on, there's a church family, there's brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna come alongside you. We're gonna help you. We're gonna encourage you. We're gonna speak the better word of God over you. If you stumble, if you fall, we're gonna help you get up and keep moving towards Christ towards his heart, towards his plans, towards his future that he has for you. And we also do it for a second reason. Every week we do it like this because it just reminds us that even as we're growing in our faith, come on, we grew in our faith today. Wait, some of us got more mature in our faith today because we understand a little bit more, a little bit deeper the power of our words and we're gonna do better and do different by the grace of God. But even as we're growing in our faith, we realize we never graduate from grace. Everything God's ever gonna build and do in our life, it's all built on unmerited grace. So here, let's pray that prayer together with some amazing people who said yes to Jesus today. Come on, pray it after me, repeat after me, say it boldly, say it loudly, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior, and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start, and I give you my life, and I give you my trust, and because of Jesus, come on, say this part really loudly. I will never be the same. And then would you rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who came home to Christ today? Come on, man. I just speak blessing over you. I speak blessing over you today. And I just pray that whatever God spoke to you and reminded you of, would you go and just walk in it this week? Just watch how a commitment to start speaking differently in every area of your life is gonna connect it to the blessing of God in your life. Hey, I know we're running a little bit late, but let's worship God one more time together. Just in here in a couple minutes, we'll come and we'll dismiss you, get you about your day. Let's worship God.